0: Hello, my name is Julia Streets and welcome to Diversity Podcast, talking about equity, inclusion and diversity in financial services. On the podcast, we seek to shine a light on positive progress, call out areas requiring further focus and offer lots of ideas to help drive change. And before we get started today, I just want to take a moment to thank our friends at City A.M., they have given Diversity Podcast a new home at Impact AM, their pages dedicated to ESG, Impact Investment, DEI, and more. And we really appreciate that they publish and promote both our episodes and our supporting blog series so their readers can stay right on top of the very latest diversity, equity, and inclusion debate. So thank you to City AM. Now, for this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Danny Harmer. Dani is the Chief People Officer for Aviva PLC and she leads Aviva's Global People and Culture Strategy. She's had a prestigious career and throughout this she has held a number of HR and business roles at Halifax, HBOS, Lloyds Banking Group, Barclays and including the Chief People Officer role at Metro Bank. She was recognised as one of HR magazine's most influential practitioners for some five years in a row and has been named as the FT outstanding LGBT plus ally and the HERO's female role model. Danny, it's wonderful. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you very much, Julia. It's wonderful to be here. So listen, I'm really intrigued. Tell us what you're focused on right now. I am very
1: lucky to have, I don't know, fallen into or planned my way into HR. You know, the people agenda in organisations is, just fascinating because of the breadth of the landscape that you know I, I can get involved in the job the job's never done right I think sometimes I haven't even started it but I think particularly when sort of applying a diversity and inclusion lens and just thinking about what a strange time the world has come out of over the last couple of years I'm just really thoughtful about what the impact of hybrid working and how that plays through in organizations and you know of course particularly for my own, how that's going to impact on inclusion. For example, we're starting to look at early data and just going, right, as people come back into work and we're getting into a rhythm of what offices are for, are we starting to see a gender difference in terms of office attendance? And if we do see a gender difference, what might the unintended consequences of that be three to five years from now? You know, we're all working hard on narrowing the gender pay gap. Uh, supporting women to, um, you know, if they want to have families to come back to work, how might that change if women go, do you know what, I, I take more of the caring responsibilities in my relationship, therefore, remote working probably helps me more. Therefore, I might be in the office less. Well, if leaders give the work and the promotions and the recognition to people they see, because that's probably how leadership and management has worked for the last hundred years what might that do for the gender agenda and what are we potentially sleepwalking our way into so that's that's definitely top of my mind at the moment
0: and it's fascinating isn't it because we talk a lot on the podcast about enlightened leadership and particularly as we're navigating you know the recent history and its reality in organizational structures organizational behaviors the feeling and the concept of inclusion belonging and what that really truly means to people and it really requires some enlightened leadership to recognize that there are risks and pitfalls but also there are huge opportunities yeah great opportunities out there now i I wonder if i could start with with sort of question i mentioned in your biography about you know the fact that you're an lgbtq plus ally and i I suppose it aligns with this discussion of enlightened leadership and uh, how people are stepping forward as allies and and I, w- I would love to hear from you about you know your position as an ally and what do you see that gives you in terms of agency and power for change. Great question. I think
1: the thing about being an ally is you, you're you're speaking out for an agenda that is not yours. That's that's key, right? That you are speaking out for others because it gives you much more power. You know, when I speak out uh, supporting women in the workplace, I am a woman. I am clearly talking for myself as well as for, you know, women in general. I'm straight. When I speak out for lesbians or, or gay colleagues, it's clearly not about me. And it, it does give your voice much more power as an ally to support that agenda. People, rightly or wrongly, it's just human nature. I think they, they listen more carefully because they know this isn't about you. This is about something more than that. One of the things about the privilege of leadership is that, we have a responsibility to think about where we should be um, allies. And I, you know, certainly from an inclusion perspective at Aviva, we have six communities, and each of them has a, you know, a a couple of members of the leadership team um, as sponsors and allies. And I think it's absolutely critical that, that leaders get stuck into this agenda you know w- with with kind of the, the power of leadership comes some responsibility and find something you're passionate about I I am I am in a passionate about diversity and inclusion generally but you know certainly uh the LGBTQ plus agenda and I have I have my mother to thank for it strangely I was thinking about it um when I was traveling into work today um that she just is one of those inclusive people and from a very young age um was was very supportive of people um, in the LGBT um, community, and therefore it's just been something that I've lived around, um, you know, from a young age, and I, and and it, it makes such a difference. And that's what inclusion is about, right? Understanding what it's like to walk in other people's shoes, and the more exposure we have to it, with reverse mentoring and sponsorship, and you know, attending events, and 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 getting you know, getting involved in in anything that you can that that broadens your perspective, has um, such a positive impact.
0: And as the Chief People Officer, I mean, you have a degree of authority to say to other very, very senior leaders, uh, part of your role is to step up as an ally. But we know that doesn't necessarily work because also we don't want allies who are reluctant allies necessarily either. Uh, Tell me, how do you influence others and how do you encourage other people to follow in your footsteps and become allies themselves?
1: Yeah, I mean, I have to say I'm very privileged. The team I work with at Aviva are all really passionate about this agenda. I mean, you know, Mark Versi, who's the chief executive of our Aviva Investors business, has a sort of dual role, actually, because Aviva Investors comments on, you know, the um, ESG environment, social and governance um, approach that other organizations take. And they are really strong on um, the diversity agenda. And similarly, inside Aviva, um, he's one of the... um, Uh, executive sponsors of um, Origins, which is our community that looks at uh, ethnicity and and faith um, from uh, diversity from that perspective. So I am privileged to work with all all of them have a real passion um, for the communities that they sponsor. I think, you know, sort of 10 years ago, possibly um, you might have had to have had a different conversation. I'm sure there are some less enlightened leaders out there, which is that when people go, yeah, but why do I need a diverse long list? Really, do I? And I think that there aren't many people who still think like that. But for those of you who are out there, let me tell you, if you have a long list or a short list that only has one gender on it, math says you're missing out 50% of the talent, right? So why would you do that? Why would you limit your opportunity to find the best people by 50%? And bear in mind that your customers represent the entire community that exists, you know, in your market. And if you only have half of that community or 20% of that community represented, you're not gonna be designing products and approaches and appealing to all of your customers. So it doesn't make commercial sense, it doesn't make you know sense from a talent, perspective. it doesn't, it just doesn't, you know. Just think about it logically, look at the society around you and make sure that your team reflects that. There's also the, you know, all the research and data about the fact that diverse teams make better decisions, uh, you know, they manage risk better because you've got more inputs and perspectives. It's, you know, that the, the I, I hope now the case for diversity is made. And actually the challenge for businesses is to go, right, it's going to take time. How do we accelerate what we all want to do?
0: Yeah. And I love the fact that you look at this very much from a commercial point of view as well, because it, it's heart and soul and what makes organisations successful. And, and I think we have moved from this being a peripheral discussion and nice to have, but being sort of whole and party, if you like, to commercial success. Um, and I'm just intrigued to just the, the return to the question about allies as well, because it's, it sounds to me like you're very, you're very, you, your, your kind of expression was you're very blessed that you've got leaders who also run PLs. And I'm curious, as you look at the industry, um, because I have seen this a little bit, it tends to be the same sort of people who step up as allies and as enlightened leaders, but they don't necessarily run the commercial part of the business. Are you seeing a shift in that way?
1: Oh, Definitely. I mean, you know, if I look at the PL leaders across Aviva, um, all of so Jason Stora, who runs our, our Canada business, is, is the kind of co sponsor of the um, LGBT, um, the Pride community um, in Aviva with me, um, which is, you know, brilliant. And obviously we try and compete to be the best um, sponsor. <laughs> of course,
0: of course. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever the committee asks one of us and not the other, we're like,
1: hang on a sec, why did you ask
0: him and not me? I love that. Um, I love is, the fact that it's bringing out the, the competition between the two of you does, very healthy.
1: <laughs> and when, when we bring the, you know, when the communities come and talk to the executive committee about how they're doing and what support they need, just so that everyone's staying connected and also we think about the intersectionality, um, you, you, do, you do see a sort of slight element of, of competition of can I make sure that when my community comes in, they've got the best support and they do a great job of explaining what we're doing and the agenda and the support we need. That's the reality of business. They're all totally out for it. I don't think I can take the credit for it. I would really love to. I don't think I can take the credit for it. I think I'm, I'm, I am blessed to work with, with an enlightened bunch of people who understand that this stuff matters and they're, they're passionate about it
0: and there's another expression that we're sort of hearing kicking around the industry quite a lot which is allies versus advocates yeah and, and some people are going well we're advocates of of a of a, of a, a network or a community or, a, or a, 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 a kind of employee group if you like um, can you just talk to us about what you see as being the
1: difference between the two allies is i'm here i support i think advocates is one up which is I take action, you know. Advocate. I speak out for, you know, even even when it's difficult, maybe. And then the the sort of you carry on with the active bystander, which is that I will I will you know proactively go into something. I think um, ally is you might sit there quietly nodding. Advocate is this is something really important we should do. Active bystander is I don't like the way that we're doing this and we need to change it. I I I think that's the sort of continuum that we're talking about. Um, and again, as leaders your position brings you power and influence. And I think you have a responsibility to, to use it in a way that people perhaps who don't have the sort of positional power and influence in the organization, but um, maybe identify with, you know, some of the minority um, groups and communities in the organization don't have. So I just, I think as leaders, it's really important that we are thoughtful about how we can influence this agenda.
0: And one thing I want to pick up your remarks there is about the whole point about you you stand up and you as you say advocate for other people as well. And a lot of organisations are going, we want to create this kind of speak up culture, this call out culture, where microaggressions and certain entrenched behaviours are no longer welcome. But it's quite hard to do that. It's quite hard to to encourage people to uh, to actually take those active steps. Love to hear your thoughts about how do you encourage people to step up and speak and call yeah. out on behalf of others. It's not easy because as
1: humans, we never want to make anybody uncomfortable. And I remember, you know, one of my former bosses, he was a really comfortable and strong in the sort of LGBT ally advocate space, but felt much less sure of himself and the language when talking about race and ethnicity. And um, he and I were having a conversation before we went to an event he was speaking at. And he said, what if I use the wrong language? And I said, I think if you if you use the wrong language and, you know, brilliant leader, very, you know, kind of emotionally um, aware, I said, you'll 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 notice because you'll go, oh, should I have said that? I said, call it out. Apologize. He said, I just I would be horrified if people thought I was racist. That's part of what we're dealing with here is that people want to do the right thing and they go this terrain, the language is new. It changes a lot. It You know, it it, it evolves. Um, how do I make sure I'm doing the right kind of thing? So what we're working on at Aviva this year. So we do an engagement survey every year, and last year we did a sort of deep dive on inclusion as part of that, and asked more questions than we normally would to just go right. Let's let's hold up the mirror here and have a look and say where could we be better? And um, one of the bits of feedback we got was that people were experiencing microaggressions. Um, and yeah I mean you know the 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 language about microaggressions I know some people sometimes go, "Oh, but I wasn't intending to be, no but you, you just need to think about how it's how it's landing on people, and it can be the tiniest things. The one that um comes up a lot is when you say to a group of people, "Okay, guys, how are we doing now, if you have somebody in that group who was Born as a boy, they identify as non-binary, or they're transitioning or have transitioned to be female. Just imagine how that feels. Because what they hear is you're still male. It's not about how you've meant it. You know, well, I call my family guys, and they don't mind. That's fine. But but actually, you know, some people do. So based on the um feedback from the survey last year, we're doing two things. We're doing, we're rolling out inclusive behaviors training for all of our people, just digital, I shouldn't say just, that's really unfair on the learning team because we did an anti-racism course last year and it's absolutely amazing. I mean, you know, some of it was quite... (gasps) Okay, <laughs> you know, took your breath away. Brilliant, brilliant learning that they did. So we're doing another one this year, which is inclusive behaviours, which is broader than um, race and ethnicity, uh, which takes into account some of the feedback we've had. And then for our leadership teams across the organisation, um, we're doing um, inclusive leadership training, which specifically covers, um, you know, microaggressions, um, active bystanding. You know, what you should do, how you should address it, how you make a safe space for people to say. Listen, when you say that, this is how it makes me feel that, you know, as leaders, we've got to create an environment where it's okay for people to challenge. Um, And it's, you know, it's, it's definitely not easy. And there are occasions where people in my team have given me feedback and said, you know, can I just let you know that you go, okay, you really have to deep breath, suck it up and go, thanks very much for telling me. I appreciate you letting me know and then go away and let your wounds, because it doesn't feel very nice but you were in the position of power. So if it didn't feel great for you, imagine how it felt for the person who had to summon up the courage to tell you yeah. and imagine how, you know, how they received it. Anyone who has children or teenage children, especially, they will give you much education and feedback about inclusion and diversity if you're prepared right. to listen. They are, they are enlightened, right? The conversations we have around, you know, the dinner table in my house sometimes where they will talk about, gender and sexuality and hang on a sec and you know my daughters particularly will you know challenge my husband if he says I'm going to make him sound old-fashioned which he is and he goes should you be wearing that and they go well hang on a sec that's not about me that's not about what I'm wearing that's about how you think some men are going to react to it that's not my problem that's their problem and you see him kind of go Oh, God, yes, you're probably right.
0: <laughs> and it is fascinating, isn't it? Because when we think about call-out cultures, when we talk about, you know, the, the feedback that needs to be given, and also active bystanding and advocating, well, I'm fascinated in the generational spectrum, if you like. So at one end, you know, if, the more senior you are, the more seasoned you are, and it's not saying that those two go hand in hand, you probably have the self-confidence to speak out in the workplace and you feel that it won't necessarily compromise your career if you do. However, actually, there's a generation that you've just talked about that's just going, well, actually, if you want feedback, we'll give you feedback, by the way, and we'll give it to you in spades. But when we come into the workplace, we may not feel that it's going to help our career journeys if we speak out on this stuff too actively. Again, I have the privilege of having you on the podcast. I'd love to get your thoughts on that.
1: Certainly. Like anybody... Uh, my children are much braver at home <laughs> than they than they would be in school or at work. The thing is, there's something about you know. I always say to my team, listen, if there's feedback you need to give me, please give it to me. If you can remember, I'm human and I've got an ego. That is really going to help us both because I will be able to hear it better. But ultimately, you just need to tell me. There's kind of responsibility on the receiver and the giver of the feedback. Just saying to somebody, well, I think you're being racist or sexist is not going to be as helpful or constructive a conversation as, listen, when you call us all guys, bear in mind, I'm the only woman in the room or I'm the only trans woman in the room or um, you know, I'm the only gay man in the room. You make me feel like I'm excluded. It's about helping both the people who are like to be the receivers of feedback, but also the the people who want to give the feedback, giving them some sort of guidance on how to, you know, be constructive. But you've got to create a culture where people know they'll be listened to and heard. That's not, you know, not necessarily always easy for all of us, right?
0: Right, right. And and action will be taken based upon what we've heard and what we've learned and so what we take forward and there's of the accountability that goes with it. I mean as you sort of look at this, I mean these pathways of change, because we're all on a journey. Every organization's on a journey. Uh, and as you say at the very beginning, if you're not, then you're missing out, <laughs> like enormously. Yeah. Um, is there anything that we should be paying attention to? What do you think we're at risk of overlooking? I do think we're
1: at risk of overlooking the impact of hybrid working. And, you know, the gender one just stands out for me because in society, women tend to see themselves as the primary carer. And as a carer, I know my children are much older now. It was easier to manage my life when I was at home. Um, So I, I, I do think just the sort of broader impact of hybrid working, people coming, young people coming into the workplace now what is their experience of work going to be for organisations that choose to go, we're remote first? And I know financial services has a challenge on on inclusion and and we've got a way to go, right? Um, But I think one of the brilliant things about the workplace is that you are put into an environment with lots of people who are not like you. And therefore, for most humans, that means you are you know, kind of accelerating your learning about diversity and inclusion. When I look at my friends who don't work, you know, all wonderful humans who want the world to be an inclusive place, but they are surrounded by friends and family and friends and family tend to look and sound like us and tend to have the same backgrounds. You know, when you do that little exercise where you go, right, name three people at work and three people in your home life, listen down right first thing you know what's their religion what was their education level and you will find that definitely the people in your personal life going to go they're just they're me mm-hmm. and then potentially the people in your work life as well even in work where there's this wonderful board of brilliant different people you will gravitate towards people like you even in an environment where it's broader so I mean I think that the fact that organizations create a much more diverse environment If people don't come into the offices physically, how does that work? Because I don't think you get the sort of the nuance and the joy of of other humans in the same way in this sort of two dimensional environment. I, I think we just need to be really thoughtful about what we're doing by making work remote only work. Are we making it transactional? rather than cultural and relationship based? And what might that do to the kind of culture of organisations and the inclusion agenda more broadly? And I don't know the answer. And people keep telling me I'm old fashioned for thinking that you can't build relationships in a, in a two dimensional thing. I think you can maintain them. But I think building them is very different.
0: So I think that's a great moment to turn to Cynthia Akinsani with some research to support today's discussion.
2: The 2020 Understanding the Pandemic's Impact on Working Women Global Survey from Deloitte reported that 7 out of 10 women experience negative shifts in their routine as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic and believe their career progression will slow down. Women were also asked what they consider is required to move up in their organisation and the causes that have made them question whether they want to progress. 30% 30% cited non-inclusive behaviours experienced, such as microaggressions, exclusion from meetings and projects. 29% cited a lack of flexible working arrangements, 27% cited the expected working hours while 27% don't agree with the organisation's mission or values.
0: So, Cynthia, thank you very much for all the research. And let's take a few moments to remind everybody how to find Diversity Podcast. And you can find the links to the research on the website, diversecitypodcast.com. Don't forget, that's diversity with a C, not with an S, diversity podcast.com and there you find all our episodes and you can sign up for early notifications of future recordings. Do also sign up for our newsletter called DE&I that caught our eye and that's where we share news stories and updates so you can stay on top of what's current. Not surprisingly, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Diversity Podcast is available on Brights Talk and all good podcast channels. And by the way, we'd really love a rating. And look, I'm so proud to say we have a five star rating. Please do give us a rating because it does help to broaden the reach of the show. So more and more people can hear about these topics that are so current. And so incredibly important. Um, so, Danny, look, I'm, I'm really, um, I'm really keen to come back to you. Uh, thank you for all your thoughts so far, and it's been wonderful to hear uh, really what's on what's on the very top of mind right now as well. Um, but I do know that I've done a bit of research, and that there's this point we've observed about. I feel like we've been stalking you, but it's been, there's something we've observed about how you like to describe inclusion, and how uh, you use a phrase called inclusion represents you. Can you just explain what you mean by this? And, and uh, how do you, as an enormous business, make sure this is truly reflected in everything you do?
1: Yeah, I, and, you know, we've talked about the fact that we have we have our six communities um, at Aviva, but, you know, and we've touched on the sort of intersectionality. But actually, there, there is... The communities are helpful to bring together common interests. But ultimately, at Aviva, we have 22,000 individuals. And... I want every single one of those individuals to feel like Aviva is for them. You know, Aviva is for everyone. Um, And actually, we've we've recently changed our job ads a bit to just make them a bit more inclusive, particularly on gender, because some of the research about how women approach job adverts versus men. And we're just sort of going, look, Aviva is for everyone. You know, the the brilliant thing about having this organization that's so big and diverse is that we can offer everybody, you know, a career, and we're big enough that our our people should represent society and the communities that we're in. Um, and how do we just focus on, you know, what the one, the 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 one twenty two thousands, and make sure they feel they belong? And it's, you know, it's part of the stuff that we we look at when we do our engagement surveys. And you know, do you feel belong? Do you feel you can you can speak up? Um, and can you be yourself at work? And I think, you know, we, we get some pretty good feedback on, on those questions. I think that's what really matters. Can I be me? Professional, not, you know, the, the me that sits at home and sometimes, you know, sits in my pants and a t-shirt eating ice cream with socks on because that's what I want to do. It's fine. I wouldn't do that. It. It's, it's professional me, but still it's me with all with all the stuff I bring because to be you but different, is really hard work. Um, I remember somebody, as as an analogy once, using, um, uh, you know, Star Trek, and the the Klingons with their kind of cloaking. You can't, you can't go into warp when you're cloaking, because cloaking uses too much energy, and there you go, That that is my analogy for (laughs) <laughs> for, the, uh, for the Star Trek fans out there, um, uh, to how, to, how to make sure you're not wasting your energy on the wrong thing because what I want is everybody here to be in warp, right? Not, oh, I don't think I can really be me because um, they keep talking about husbands and wives and I'm gay and I have a partner. Um, or I don't think I can be really be me because they keep saying guys and I'm, I'm not a guy. Or I don't think I can really be me because I cannot see anybody here in a senior role who looks like me you know it's it's that that we we need
0: to think about incredibly important and, and as I've talked before on the podcast you know I'm a gay woman in the city and, and the the narrative around my career for decades was do not come out it will destroy your career and also you, you you get strategies right you build strategies of trying to avoid the single question which is what did you do at the weekend so Monday mornings, I had strategies to not be anywhere near the kitchen or the water cooler to be asked that question. It's just like <laughs> it's exhausting. I mean, to your point, just to build on your point, the reason why I bring it—I I talk about this—is because it is exhausting, and it is like that My then you, therefore your energy is used in the wrong place in yeah. the wrong way, uh, and it's and it's actually very harmful in in many 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 ways. And you spent Monday mornings being very thirsty. Being very thirsty. <laughs> and all I wanted was a coffee. <laughs> So um, I can't believe how time canters by on these podcasts, but I just want to ask you the same question I ask everybody. And that is particularly as we are going through interesting times and with interesting, difficult pathways ahead economically, I have a deep-seated concern that diversity, equity and inclusion could well fall down the corporate agenda. Give us your compelling reasons about why it's so important it remains high. Well, it's not going to because
1: it's uh, we've said it's a commercial imperative. Um, for all businesses anyway and actually I do think businesses genuinely are leading the leading the way on on uh, diversity and inclusion which is which is brilliant to see them adding that back into the communities who are their customers this sort of virtuous circle and actually it mustn't either because um, as you say challenging times just behind us and, and ahead and um you know some of those might impact on um people who are less privileged, which tends to be minority communities anyway. And as businesses, those are our colleagues, they're our communities, they're our customers, and we need to be making sure that we're including everybody um, when we think about everything we do as an
0: organization. It's the world we're in. Danny Harmer, it's been a joy to have you on the show. Thank you for all your thoughts, all your insights. It's been very considered, but I have to say, I am—you know—I'm. You're the first episode in five years that has brought a Star Trek analogy. <laughs> <I> love that! <laughs> thank you so much.
1: Thanks. Love to see you.
0: And as always, thank you to all our listeners for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed the episode as much as I have. I've been Julia Streets. Join us again soon for another wonderful episode.
2: This episode of Diversity Podcast was produced by Roshan Roberts on behalf of Julia Streets Productions. You can find out more about the guests from this week's show on our website. That's www.diversitypodcast.com. That's diversity with a C and not an S. Whilst you were there, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all our latest updates. All our episodes are available in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast app. If you enjoy Diversity Podcast, remember to share on social media and give us a rating or review. And finally, our Twitter handle is at DiversityPod. Thanks for listening.